Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, good morning. It's good to be here. It's good to be present and be part of a, such an exciting, dynamic church. We are continuing our study, our investigation, our discovery of the mystery of parables. And I've been assigned two parables to talk about today. Uh, when I was first given this, I thought, wow, my first, my first passage was like 20-something verses. And uh, then my second passage was like three verses. So I thought, well, maybe they're trying to give me a message here. <laughs> maybe I should cut down what I say and give a short sermon. But I decided that the kind of person I am, if you try to tell me to do one thing, <laughs> I'm going to do completely the opposite. So I apologize in advance. This might be a little long, longer than I normally would preach. But I think there's some good stuff in here. And I've tried to slice out all the stuff that I didn't think was important. But when the Lord lays something on your heart, you don't just say, well, Lord, that's not important. Um, so today we're going to talk about two parables, the hidden treasure and a second parable that's often coupled with it to kind of make it what we call as a doublet, the parable of the costly pearl. And as you know, what is a parable? It's kind of a metaphor, metaphoric story. It's an earthly story with a deeper heavenly meaning. So when we look at these stories today, it's not just like, oh, that's a cool story. Yeah, we could make a cartoon out of that and we could be on our very way. No, think that Jesus was, in telling a simple story, he was trying to say things that he couldn't really articulate uh, any other way without like giving a philosophical treatise. And how would that go over? if I gave that this morning. Oh, no objections. Okay, well, that's, that's what I was hoping. No. Uh, so we want to look at when we're given a mystery, how do we pull out from that mystery the heavenly truth? And so I want to say right up front, I am not giving you my, like, here is my truth. You can forget about what you ever read before. This is the only truth. And you might say, well, that might be true, but this is also true. Um, so I want to say right up front that we should interpret these parables as maybe many truths sort of lumped together. And to give us a good idea of how to do that, I want to play this little video clip this morning. What do you mean? Do you mean to wish me a good morning, or do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Or perhaps you mean to say that you feel good on this particular morning? Or are you simply stating that this is a morning to be good on? All of them at once, I suppose. 
Okay, he first said, good morning. He's trying to get rid of, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, I, which I'm uh, like a super fan, um, uh, he's trying to get rid of this beggarly looking guy who's outside of his house, who he doesn't really know. And he just says, good morning. And then Gandalf says, well, what is it? What do you mean by good morning? So we want to say the same thing about these parables today. The parables may have many meanings and they may have layers of meanings. So I think the symbol for today is the onion. So when you think about this parable, you say, well, there's a, a surface meaning. But um, whoever eats the surface meaning, whoever eats the surface of an onion? You know, I read this week, you can peel off the paper and you can make a craft using onion paper. And so I thought, man, I don't have any talents, but maybe I can just make onion paper. Who would buy onion paper craft? It's like, I'm going to give this to my brother-in-law that I don't really care for. <laughs> so uh, you'll normally pull, peel off the onion to get to the good stuff inside. And so I hope that as we go through this parable, that you want to ask yourself, what else is hidden? in this parable that I never thought of before. So here's the parable this morning, parable of the hidden treasure. So why don't we read it together? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Next. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. If you have a bulletin this morning, I put some... Um, an outline of the sermon with some blanks. So um, I teach um, college, so I'm always wanting my students to like pay attention. So this is maybe my overflow of that, but I always felt like maybe if I could write something down in the sermon, besides uh, lunch this afternoon, Broncos game, whatever your list of things to do, maybe I could remember. So I'm gonna challenge you to fill out some blanks especially when it comes to part of the uh, parable that I think uh, we should always keep in mind. There's a, a part of the parable that talks about what does it mean, but there's also a part of the parable that says, what are we going to do about it? What is our action? So I would invite you today, as you listen to the parable and its explanation, ask the Lord what are you going to do about this truth that he's handed to us from the words of Jesus? So layer number one is the human story in the parable. At the top layer, next slide. Then it's just the story of people finding treasure. Um, it starts out as a man, but it could, it could be a woman too. The merchant could be a woman. 
Uh, it's not really the gender. It's not really important. It's just about someone seeking or finding something that they view is incredibly valuable, but maybe it's not really seen by anyone else. Um, and both respond to that discovery by saying, I have to do whatever I can to get it. Sounds like a pretty simple story. Uh, the first man, the treasure, was found in a field. Uh, that might be something that we can't re really relate to, um, just an ordinary field. But to the people of the, that day, uh, it would have been unusual, but it would have not been impossible. Because a lot of things are found in fields that you're not looking for. And because Israel had been overrun so many times, and people had hid their belongings at each of these invasions and maybe been killed and never recovered it, um, there's rumors of lots of treasure. So when Jesus says a story, it's like, oh yeah, I've heard that story before. Yeah, I've, I've actually been out in the field looking for treasure. Uh, and apparently a man found a treasure. Oh, okay, well now what are you going to do with it? Now, and so this, uh, this man... Um, recognizes the value of the story, um, went and did whatever he possibly could, and he wanted to get the, he couldn't like steal the treasure from the field. I mean, I suppose he could, but that, that wouldn't really be a good moral for the Jesus teaching. Hey, if you find a treasure, wait till the sun goes down. Take your shovel and your dog, like your dog's lost in the field, and you're going and digging. Oh, and found the treasure, hauled it home. Then people are going to say, hey, where did you find that? I don't know. No, that, that would not go over well. So uh, find the treasure, um, sell everything he has to buy the field. Um, I had an experience in my family kind of like that. Uh, so I can kind of relate to the response. Uh, when I was... Nine years old, my dad had a best friend who was a miner up in Alaska, and he had never found a single thing except one little flat gold nugget about the size of a quarter worth about 10 bucks or something. And so uh, he was kind of indebted to my parents for just taking him in all the time because he was just like dirt poor, lived in a little cabin. Um, but. Uh, my dad and him were very close. In fact, my middle name is named after this man. And so one day when I was nine, um, he called my dad up and said, hey, I want you to come up to the mine because I have discovered something. And my parents were n not rich at all. And uh, uh, they said, well, what is it? He said, well, I can't tell you. I have to show you. But you'll never have to worry about money again. And your kids will be able to go to whatever college they want to. Your financial problems will be over. So that's pretty exciting. A treasure hidden in the field. So my dad uh, said, okay, kids, it's 4th of July weekend. We're going to go up to see Uncle Kurt. So pack everything up. We're going to leave super early in the morning. 
and uh, drive 90 miles. Well, 90 miles in Alaska when I was nine was like half of a day. We had one-lane roads with gravel. It was a really big deal. We had to cross a river in our car, in our truck. So it was, um, it was a big deal. So, you know, we were all excited. It's like, wow, Uncle Kurt, mine, open space, uh, you know, bears, wolves, all the, you know, he didn't really, he didn't really tell us about the treasure. Uh, so um, I go to bed, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't sleep. You know, I think I was probably up all night. I was just like so excited. And so um, at nine o'clock, I come stumbling out of my room. And this was unheard of because my dad was the kind of man that said, kids ought to be up at 6 a.m. milking those cows. I was like, well, we don't have cows, dad. Well, you ought to be up anyway. <laughs> and so it was nine o'clock and, and I'm not up. So something's wrong. And my parents are sitting around at the table looking very sad. And I said, well, let's go. We're not going. Well, why not? Well, because Uncle Kurt died in an accident last night. And well, what happened? Well, the little tractor tipped over on him and uh, uh, he was able to crawl out after some little kid picked it up, kind of another one of those miracle things, but he died en route to the hospital. And then my parents went on in the next couple months to, to administer his estate and wondered what was he going to show us. We scoured his cabin along with everyone else that kind of heard the rumblings that he had discovered something. No one to this day has found the treasure. And so part of me says, Bob, just go back there, dig around. Uh, but he had mining claims all over the interior of Alaska, so it could be anywhere. So we feel like, wow, if I could have lived at that time, what would I have done to find this treasure? And so, to the hearers of that story about a, a treasure that would have incited um, really excitement, and what would you do if that were you? Well, you would certainly sell all you had. So what is this treasure in the kingdom of God? What is the metaphor? What is the symbolism? Well, people have said it's very clear. The treasure and the pearl, which is kind of like the same story, um, are Jesus. The treasure is the gospel. The treasure is this new relationship with God. And um, isn't that something we'd want to pursue? And so the action is, uh, go for it. If you happen to stumble in your life upon the treasure of heaven, uh, you need to like make that your effort. So that's kind of like a takeaway. And so that's layer number one. We're on, still on layer number one. So, is there anything puzzling about the way Jesus told that story that might, you, might make you think, um, hey, uh, 
there's some puzzles here about this story. Maybe this is not at all what it says. Well, first of all, I'm going to wait till this goes by. Thank you. First of all, this man finds a treasure. Who, whose field is he in? Certainly not in his own field. He had to buy this field. Um, so how would you feel like if uh, you saw some dude in your backyard uh, and he was digging some holes and then he covered them back up and then he knocks on your door and says, hey, um, do you want to sell your house? <laughs> well, how about not just your house? How about just the little corner of your backyard down there? Well, I'm not sure I'd be all that excited to, to uh, respond to someone who just wants to do that. I, I would think for a second now, why, why do you care about this? Um, and so, a second question you might ask is, what is this man doing to begin with? Um, yeah, I know people in those days didn't like put up barbed wire and keep people out. You know, Jesus walked through people's fields and stuff like that. But what was the intentions of this person? Was he a treasure hunter? Because if I really uh, it, want to interpret it as I have to pursue this treasure, maybe I ought to also be the kind of person who pursues treasure. Maybe I ought to go snooping around in other people's business. Maybe that's the message. How would you like that as the, the, uh, the action coming from the parable? But look at, look at the par uh, parable of the uh, merchant. Is the kingdom of heaven this glorious secret that we're supposed to uncover from this earthly parable? Is it discovered by a financial transaction? It's like, oh, Jesus wants me to join his kingdom. And he's standing at the door and he's looking for my punch ticket. Well, I don't have a punch ticket. Well, you better go buy one because you're not going to get in without exchanging everything you own. So if we interpret it simply people pursuing the kingdom, giving up everything, then we're left with these sort of enigmas here because everywhere else in the New Testament, the kingdom is simply a gift given to you without any prerequisites. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you want salvation? Give me your soul then. He simply says, I offer you salvation. So maybe when we have things, when we read and interpret a parable like this, maybe we ought to kind of take a step back and say, well, wait a minute. Well, some of that about pursuing the kingdom is exactly true. But if we're viewed as the, the pursuer and Jesus is viewed as the treasure, then maybe we're maybe missing something because we're left with these puzzles. And so we want to dig a little deeper to layer number two. This layer flips the entire script around and says, you may have thought you were the hero of this parable as the pursuer, the treasure seeker, but that's not you at all. Jesus is the treasure hunter. 
And what does that make you? You're his treasure. It's like, wow. Now that really takes on a new meaning. Why am I his treasure? But it also explains away some of the enigmas in the first interpretation. The first interpretation is Jesus, or this treasure hunter is snooping around in someone's field. Kind of maybe unethically tries to buy the field, take, get the treasure. Jesus is the treasure seeker. And what do we know about Jesus and the field? He already owns the field. He is already the owner of everything. He is the creator of the universe. He created all the people, all the nations. But we know from reading the story in the New Testament, and the world is no longer under his control. Satan has taken ownership of the human experiment. But Jesus still knows these people are mine. This is my treasure. And I'm going to go and claim it. I'm going to go, I'm going to find it, and I'm going to pay the price. What's the price? Everything. And so we know that Jesus gave up himself. He gave up his life. He was willing to sacrifice his divinity, submit himself to being a human being, to be killed on a cross, and then to gloriously claim, I'm driving Satan out. So the parable is, has a new twist on it now. It's God seeking you, finding you, claiming you, making you his own. And that kind of changes our thinking. It changes our thinking because some people feel like that's not how they got their salvation. They got their salvation by groveling in Jesus' presence and begging him, please love me, save me, help me. When it's exactly the other way around, Jesus is coming to you and saying, I already paid for you, I bought you. Not in a physical sense, but I love you. Now, I, I grew up in a in a church with a lot of fear and trembling. And so uh, my parents were really, they wanted me to turn out right. And how many of you want your kids to turn out right? So you set really narrow rules. Okay, this is right, this is wrong. Don't go over here, here's your little box. And uh, and you knew when you were in the box because your parents would say, man, my kids are good. If you are not in the box, they gave you that look. That look said, you know, you're not just displeasing me. 
You're just pleasing someone else. So you just kind of better watch it. You know, they don't have to say it. They only have to say it like one time. And then from then on, they just gave you that look. So I was 12 years old. They gave me that look. Because I woke up one Saturday morning thinking, this is a good day. This is a really good day to bug my sisters. It's a really good day. And I knew, and I still know, exactly what to say and do, the look to give, the little smile, to make them crawl out of their skin. I don't know if there's any brothers who have a younger sister here. You don't have to raise your hand. Um, but that was my experience. And so I woke up one morning, Saturday morning thinking, this is a good day. And after a few hours of that, my parents said, we're going shopping. I was like, oh, great. And you're not coming. <laughs> so my parents took, took my two sisters and they went out to shopping. I thought, well, this ought to be a couple hours of peace and quiet. I can dream up new ways of torturing my sister. This is, I mean, I'm really good at this. So if you ever need any hints, so a couple hours went by and they didn't return and I'm like looking out the window. Um, a couple more hours went by and they're not home. And of course we didn't have any cell phones and my parents never would have done that. They, my dad was not a, his version of shopping that he taught me was, you know what you want, you go to the store and if you're not out of there in five minutes, there's something wrong. So four hours has gone by, and it's like either my dad got hit by a car and is dead or something, because my mom would like to go shopping, or something else is wrong. So what could be wrong? Well, then the little voice said, well, you were really mean to your sister today. Yeah? What if Jesus came back while your parents went shopping? <laughs> Yeah, well, well, that could be kind of serious. So it's like I kind of ignored that for a while. But a couple more hours went by, and it's starting to get dark outside. Now, this is really serious. My parents have never done this. I was a really brat that morning, and I'm confessing that to God right then. In fact, I'm confessing it on my knees, in the living room, with tears. Just then, my parents came in. <laughs> like, how have you been, son? Fine, really good. <laughs> where have you guys been? Oh, we were furniture shopping and it just took longer than expected. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. Is that a good understanding of how we view our relationship with Christ? Is Christ holding us up and saying, wow, you're, you're really good, Bob, but I'm watching you and you make a mistake, bonk, you're gone. Is it possible that when we walk through life and we, we have this fellowship with Jesus and he's in our hand, we're in his hand, that he could become distracted 
And Satan could come along and say, hey, that used to be my toy. I'm taking it back. Is that the way we view Jesus as the treasure hunter? What do you do with treasures in your life? Do you leave them out on the counter so that your two-year-old can play with them? No. Um, my treasures are locked up. I don't have many, but I'm not putting them out there for uh, my, even my own kids, who are teenagers, to monkey with. I think the message of this parable is Jesus considers you a treasure. He is protecting you. He is nurturing you. He has given everything to have you and to keep you. And if that's our understanding, what action should motivate us? Well, maybe we need to understand grace. Grace is God's favor. God is not looking for punishment. Maybe that ought to be our attitude also. Now there's one more layer, and I want to give credit to Ray Stedman, who is a preacher and Bible scholar for this. So this is not something I dreamed up in the re deep dark night when I get all my creative ideas. In this interpretation, Jesus is the treasure seeker. We are the treasure, but we're going to decouple these two parables that we said were kind of the same. And we're saying they're not really exactly the same. They're two phases or two parts of God's treasure seeking in the world. Well, does that make any, any sense? Well, it does, because if you have a Bible, does the Bible have two parts? I think it does. It has an old part, the Old Testament, and it has a new part, the New Testament. And these are two different chapters, two different phases of God's redemption in the world. The old part was about calling of Abraham, and we're given some uh, backstory. Uh, then later we get Moses, we get the Ten Commandments, we get the special covenant relationship, uh, we get uh, the promised land, we get driving out uh, all the people, uh, setting up a kingdom, we get uh, kings and prophets and all of that leading up to uh, eventually their fall, their exile, their dis nation destroyed. Oh, but the nation came back together and uh, lives again in the land of Israel. So that's like phase one. But phase one had really kind of ended like 400 years before Jesus. That's the last time there was a prophet. There was just a bunch of priests. There was a fall of the nation and captivity under the Roman rule, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, you know, corruption. Here we have the King Herod, who's not even really Jewish, on the throne. Um, 
And so chapter 1, phase 1, didn't really end so well. But if you say, well, God has this, this main theme to save the world. Wow, when Jesus, just before Jesus showed up, it's not very good. Then you have phase 2, the New Testament. And the New Testament is uh, Jesus' beginning of his ministry and uh, to the Jewish people and then the disciples, the apostles' ministry to the world. Now, do we see those kind of themes in this parable? We see like one kind of theme that looks like it's Jewish and one kind of theme that looks like it's non-Jewish. You might think about that. And we do, because in the first parable, the treasure is hidden in the field. It's like, so what? Well, the Israelites, the Jewish people, were people of the land. And uh, there were kind of three depictions of land. There was the field, which was like cultivated um, land where people would grow crops. There was wilderness, which was non-cultivated. It's like uh, uh, desolate. And uh, if, uh, if when the Israelites were actually destroyed, they referred to the land as a desolate land, a wilderness. It turned wild. So you have wild, you have a field. But then there was the metaphor that was used for the Israelites as a garden. And when God was actively working and they, Israelites were responding, the land of Israel was referred to as a garden. The garden of his delight, but not only blessed materially, but it was just, it was just good. Everything just worked. I mean, I, I think uh, probably weeds knew exactly where they were supposed to grow over here. And uh, they built vineyards with walls in them. They were, you know, everything was maximized for production. Everything just worked out. And so the land of Israel was something, um, was something valued by the neighboring nations. They'd look over there and say, wow, look at, look at how they're doing it. They're doing pretty good. And we know that when the Israelites came back into their land in 1947, what was said? The desert, the wilderness began to bloom just like it had in Bible days. Okay, so maybe Israel is the land. It's not a garden anymore. Maybe it's kind of like not desolate, but maybe it's just like a field. It's been partially cultivated, but there's still some treasure inside. Okay, we can make that connection. And stay with me. Uh, I'm not just making this up. The second half... What about the pearl? The pearl is the treasure in part two. Part two, um, there's a treasure the merchant goes looking for. Now, how would the Jewish people have viewed pearls? Oh yeah, everyone had pearls in, no. Uh, when in the Old Testament, there's almost no references to pearls. They had references to diamonds and, and other kinds of uh, gems. Pearls were considered something exotic. And in Galilee, when Jesus, where Jesus preached, of course, is called Galilee of the Gentiles. There's lots of foreign people coming through. And so, so if you saw a 
pearl dealer, he probably would not be a Jewish guy. He'd probably be something exotic, some foreigner who's passing through. So when Jesus is giving this parable, he's saying, one treasure is like a treasure in a field. A treasure, you know, like something hidden from antiquity, something old, something, something that was in your history, but you lost it. But here's another valuable thing. It's something beyond your borders, something that you haven't really thought of or valued as a people. And there's a merchant looking for that as well. And that's the kingdom of God too. So is that fit in with any other grand plans that God had for the world? Yes. God's original plan was to bring the Jewish people to himself, make them a kingdom of priests as a, as a glorious garden for the world so the world would respond. And that kind of fell flat. But God's original plan was also to bring the gospel to the world and to view the world as his treasure. The world is his pearl. And we as the Gentile church embody that. We are the pearl. We are the treasure that Jesus is building. Now we know that from one other, one other reference in the New Testament. Um, and, you know, it's reference of heaven. You see this in a lot of times in cartoons. Um, Peter standing at the gate. And what, how's the gate described? The pearly gate. Aha! There's a symbol. If you read the descriptions of the New Jerusalem when Jesus is coming down to earth, the city has 12 gates with 12 pearls representing the entry point into the kingdom is represented by the pearl which is embodied in our notion, our idea of the church. The church is the Gentile treasure which we have now organized. Uh, it used to be organized as the Jewish nation, now is organized as the Gentile family of God. Families um, are a body. Families are organic. Families are united in relationship. Did you know that the pearl is the only jewel that's a byproduct of a living thing? Every other thing is just a rock or something. A pearl was made in an oyster. And you know how a pearl was, is made in an oyster? It's not like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay an egg. It's called a pearl. No. Uh, an oyster opens up and a little piece of sand gets in there. And it's kind of like um, when you kids, your parents say, go to bed now, but he goes, I'm hungry. And on the way to your, your bedroom, you grab a little sack of crackers. 
and you take them and you get under the covers and you eat. And then you discover why it is that your parents didn't want you to eat crackers in bed. Because you're laying in bed and it's like, oh, these cracker crumbs are bothering me. Well, the, the oyster does the same thing. It says, I'm going to reach around and sweep out these crumbs that are in my shell. Oh, wait a minute. I don't have an arm. I can't do this. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to push it so it's not so pokey. And I'm going to work with it. And I'm going to turn it into a pearl. So a pearls are born out of some painful experience, but they turn out to be something beautiful. And that's kind of our experience as the church. If you're in the church long enough, you know that somebody's going to bug you, right? But sometimes God is using that to turn both of you into pearls of great price, something that Jesus would live uh, and die for. So what action are we, we prompted to do from this parable story? What should you do if Jesus loves the church and died for it? Well, I think in all of the interpretations, the motivation is we should do the same. We should be embracing of God's truth. We should be embracing of each other. And we should be embracing God's work in the world to show his love to everyone. And that's the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have embedded so much mystery in these parables. And I pray, Father, that we would be able to uh, make um, decisions in our own life to live this out in the best way that we know. In Jesus' name, amen.